In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For all the kids up through the sixth grade, please come forward. glad you're here. Tell me what your most prized possession is. What do you love the most? Like your phone or your doll or your game uh, or your house? What is your most prized possession? What do you love the most? What do you hang on to all the time? What do you, you have something? You hang on to your Barbies? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Your bed. <laughs> your bed. You love your bed. <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. You know, what if those things went away? What would happen? Anything? You'd have to sleep on the floor. You would. And then you wouldn't have any Barbies left, would you? You would have to play with sticks. <laughs> That's right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. So in the gospel reading that we just heard out here in, in the aisle, there was this very rich man who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to, to have what you have? What must I do to get eternal life, to live forever with you even? And Jesus says, you know what to do. He says, follow the Ten Commandments, right? Do this and do this and do this. And the man said, I've done that ever since I was a little boy, about your age. Ever since I was a little boy, I've done, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew this young man's heart. And he said to him, then I tell you what, go and sell everything that you have. Remember, this is a rich man. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven, meaning you will have eternal life. And the man, you know what he did? He, you think he went and sold everything? He said, no. he said no, didn't he? He turned around, sorrowful, he turned around and walked away from Jesus. A lot of people in the world do that. A lot of people walk away from Jesus in our world today. And that's That's sad. And sometimes maybe we ourselves on any given day might walk away from Jesus because things that we hold precious like our Barbies, our bed, our money, whatever it might be, we let that come first and we don't think about Jesus. We think about hanging on to what we love. And sometimes what we love more is, is money or Barbies or beds or, what, or whatever food or whatever it might be rather than loving Jesus with our whole heart. And I think Jesus' point is that don't let anything come before me, Jesus says. Don't let anything come before God in your life. That man could have probably kept his possessions, but he, but he needed to turn more toward Jesus and see Jesus for who he was and follow Jesus 
He probably could have done that and still had what he needed to live in life without any problem. But God loves us enough to say, I want you to place me first. Not because God is some egomaniac, but because God loves us that much. God loves you that much and you and me. God loves us. And he wants to be our best friend, but also our best God. And sometimes we put other gods before Jesus. Sometimes we do. So be careful as you grow up. Always remember, God comes first. God comes first. And everything else comes second and third and fourth and fifth. Even Barbies. Even, yes, even bed. Okay? All right. If you, Addie, if you want to get a packet over here from Mr. Music, you can color while you go sit with your grandma. Is that your grandma? Yeah. You want to get one? Over there. Go ahead. Go get a packet. And then go sit back. Sit back down. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So things were not going well on that Sunday. The young minister, he was preoccupied with thoughts of how he was going to have to ask the congregation to come up with more money than they had been expecting for repairs on the church building. And to further complicate things, he found out that the regular organist was sick and a substitute had been brought in at the very last minute. Well, the substitute wanted to know what to play that morning, and so the young minister said impatiently, well, here's a copy of the service, um, but you'll have to think of something to play right after I make the announcements about the finances. And after the choir's anthem at the beginning, the minister stood up at the pulpit and he began, brothers and sisters, we face a great challenge today the roof repairs cost twice as much as we expected and we spent 4,000 more dollars than we needed to. Now, if any of you can pledge 100 or more dollars, please stand up. At precisely that moment, the quick-thinking substitute organist played a stirring rendition of the Star-Spangled Banner. <laughs> and that is how the substitute organist became the permanent organist. <laughs> a song I like a lot, some of you have heard it before, I'm not going to sing it, I'm going to say the words, but it was written by and sung by a priest in Florida by the name of Ted McNabb. The song has to do with today's gospel reading about the camel and about the needle's eye. And the song helps us to realize that oftentimes we find ourselves rooting for that camel. Because if the camel can make it through the eye of the needle, then we are more likely to become optimistic about our eternal salvation, our eternal life. And it goes like this. Well, I always drive 55. I always buckle up. I usually drop something in when the beggar is shaking his cup. I've always tried to live my life the way I'm supposed to, so Lord, I know you'd like to grant this request I make of you. Since you didn't make me handsome, well, how about making me rich? 
Would you provide the scratch, Lord, if I provide the itch? Well, I know what you said, Lord, about the camel and the needle's eye, but believe me when I'm saying I'll be praying on the day I die. Come on, camel, squeeze on through. Come on, camel, I'm pulling for you. Come on, camel, give it your all for a rich man with his back to the wall. And the song continues. Now, I'm not talking filthy rich, but I could use a little dough because things have been sort of rough, Lord. Business has been slow. Just tired of living my life in poverty and fear. Say, Lord, just how big a camel are we talking here? Come on, camel, squeeze on through. Come on, camel, I'm pulling for you. Come on, camel, give it your all for a rich man with his back to the wall. I say, come on, camel, concentrate. I hope it's been a while since you ate. Say, come on, camel, squeeze on through. Come on, camel, this rich man's praying for you. Now, as you can hear, there is humor in this song, and it's based on the text about this rich young ruler we heard about in the gospel reading. He just couldn't part with his property so that he might inherit eternal treasures, treasures in heaven. It's a story that won't quite leave us alone. And yet it's a story too central to the gospel to set aside or to ignore. And do you know what I find interesting? In the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, Jesus talks a whole lot more about money and property than almost any other subject, including prayer, including the devotional life. Now, I used to be one of those ministers who was reluctant to talk about money, even during stewardship season, which, by the way, begins right now. Because I used to think that it was somehow demeaning to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the truth be known, there is nothing I could talk about more that is as closely related, connected to the gospel than money, than possessions. Jesus dealt with it constantly because he saw people's attachment to it standing so frequently between them and true religion. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, he said, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So let's take a look at this rich young ruler from the text and let's try to get beyond the surface of what it says about him to understand what he's like deep down inside. This young man is a real man. This is not a parable Jesus is telling. This is a true story in the Bible. Um, this man is a man of flesh and blood, a man of passion, a man with feelings. He is a prominent citizen. That much is obvious. The Bible or three of the gospels tell us that he is a ruler. He belongs to the upper class. His nails are probably manicured. His hair is probably neatly trimmed and groomed. The cloth of his clothing is undoubtedly of elegant texture, unlike the rough homespun clothing of Jesus and his disciples, they can see the difference. The disciples, they feel awkward, almost reverential in his presence. You know what I mean if you came from a poor background. There are certain people of culture and breeding who always give you the sense of fumbleitis. But this man is also a man of religion. He's grown up in a devout home 
always followed the way of devotion for himself. He can talk history. He can talk theology. He's been a good man striving always to live by the law, by the commandments of God. He's one of those rare creatures, a rich man who attempts to put God first in his life. We can imagine, therefore, that he is also a bit proud in the way that religious goodness often opens us to pride. And when he first hears about Jesus and his ragtag troop of disciples, he's probably kind of put off by them. Who are they to know anything important about the religious life? A band of country bumpkins, misfits, people with no real place in society, trying to make a place by going around stirring folk up with stories of healings and miracles. All of this man's friends, they smirk at Jesus and his disciples. They put Jesus down. So he naturally draws back from them. But then this man meets Jesus. Perhaps it's at the home of a friend. Perhaps he's been invited to a party and Jesus is there. Jesus says little, but he can tell Jesus is a man of quality, that there are depths to him to which none of his publicity has done justice. But still he's cautious in the way the rich and the cultured are almost always cautious. And so he goes to talk to his teachers about the things that Jesus has said. He can't get this strange parable spouting Galilean out of his mind. Jesus kind of becomes an obsession with him. He sees in Jesus a depth of understanding and commitment for which he himself has always striven. How can he acquire what Jesus has? And so the moment is inevitable. The moment and the question. Good teacher, he asks. What must I do to inherit eternal life. In other words, how can I step over into your mode of existence and become like you? And Jesus' answer is rather rabbinical in nature. He doesn't answer directly, but toys with the questioner. It's a method that every great teacher uses to make the student squirm until the student, him, herself, comes to an answer. Why do you call me good? Asks Jesus. No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill, etc. Of course the man knows the commandments. They've been the very center of his religious existence. He's observed them feverishly all of his life. He says so. Teacher, all these I have observed since I was a little boy. And Jesus looks at him sympathetically. He can't toy with him any longer, for he loves the man, the scriptures tell us. They obviously have developed a true relationship. What Jesus says to him is with complete compassion, there's one thing missing and one little ingredient, and everything hangs on that. He says, what you own stands between you and God. Sell it, give it to the poor, and then come 
join us. I hope you feel the impact of that answer because Jesus speaks to us as well the same words. Like a surgeon of the soul, Jesus plunges the scalpel into the very center of the man's problem, our problem, possibly. Man knows it. He knows it the way we've always known such things, even though we haven't admitted these things to ourselves. He knows he has failed to keep the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What he possesses has always stood between him and God. Didn't have to, but it did. Now imagine the moment, it's a critical moment. The man's problem is out in the open and he must make the decision of a lifetime. He can't back away from it, for even that is a decision. He has to decide and what he decides will determine his eternal destiny. I mean, you talk about choices, right? This is the big one. I can imagine the angels in heaven hanging on the outcome of this man's choice. I can imagine Jesus praying silently, Father, let him choose you. Father, let him choose you. And the man can't do it. He can't step out of his bondage. He can't be free. He isn't up to the moment. He turns sorrowfully away. And that Greek word implies more than sadness. It is, he is filled with grief. He's filled with remorse. It's as though someone has died, as though he himself has died. How many times as a pastor have I witnessed this moment in someone's life? A young housewife, perhaps, confronted with her own inner need to become a committed follower, but she's so busy with the children and all the household chores, which are fine. They are good things to be busy with. But she places those before God. A brilliant young man, perhaps, fearful that his career is about to sweep him away from his allegiance to God. His business is a good thing, but not if it takes the place of God. Or the middle-aged person standing on the pinnacle of the years and seeing how much has been spent thoughtlessly, aimlessly, without devotion to God, who stands at the very center of everything, wanting to do it now, but not quite able to make that full commitment. They draw back. There is sadness all around. The scriptures don't tell us, but Jesus must have been very sad as well, along with all the angels in heaven, I mean, we begin to wonder how God himself deals with all this sadness. All the people he loves wants to see whole and happy, and they can't quite make the decision to turn their lives in his direction. And the same holds true for us as a parish family. You know, we are at one of those rare moments, a crossroads moment in the life of this parish. For several months now, even as we have journeyed through this awful pandemic, we have sensed an expectant outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have sensed that God is about to do something special and wonderful for his kingdom's sake here at St. Timothy's Anglican Church. 
We have sensed with expectancy and confidence that the birth or the rebirth is getting close. And so I say, let us be faithful to God. Let us allow ourselves to remain committed or even to become more committed with our time, with our imagination, with our ministries, and yes, with our money. We have a decision to make as the body of Christ that is not unlike the decision of that rich young ruler. Christ comes to each of us with an opportunity to be a part of this. The question is, are we up to it? Can we treat property as property and Lord as Lord and not confuse the two? My friends, we face this challenge because we are a church which is alive. I'll tell you a short story, a story about another church where one church member complained to a friend that that church is always asking for money. And the gentle friend told a story, and I want you to hear it. He said, once I had a son, and during the months of pregnancy, money was spent to prepare a nursery in the home for him. And then money was spent on prenatal visits and on the delivery itself. The doctor sent us a bill, and then the hospital sent us a bill. And as my son started school, still more money was required. And when he became a teenager, the financial needs, they increased dramatically with a car, with insurance, with dating. And then it came time to send my son to college. And that required the most money of all. And then the gentle, gentle friend said, and then my son died in an accident. And now he doesn't cost us anything. He cost us money because he was alive. And then this gentle friend said to the man, my friend, so is your church alive. So folks, yes, ministry does cost money. In a time when some churches are deciding how to close down buildings, a lot of churches because of disuse, because of the pandemic, whatever. We are walking with a great sense of expectancy and excitement. And that's because we are a church which is alive and even pregnant with a sense of great hope. We have a vision. We have a task. The vision is before us. The task is at hand. So as we receive our pledge cards toward the end of the month for the 2022 budget, let us each individually make the right choice, a choice and a sacrifice which yields praise to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.